text for the sermon this day is taken from all those readings which we read, including this reading from John 20. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These are the texts. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today is the Feast of St. John. It's the second of a series of feasts that follow immediately after Christmas. And I'm going to get to, towards the end, why that's significant. But one thing that should be immediately noticeable by it being the Feast of St. John that means that today is the feast of this congregation's um, namesake. Named after St. John, not, you could may, maybe it's St. John the Baptist, but much more likely St. John the Apostle. And so, and last year actually St. Peter's landed, we were worshiping at St. Peter's when we landed on the feast of St. Peter. Sadly, Zion does not really have a namesake day, maybe all saints day you could maybe make a case for. But it does give you extra thought. If this congregation is named after St. John, then maybe it's a good idea to think about who he was. And a lot of what we know about John is these little details we read, especially at the very end of the gospel, and a little bit of the stuff we read about in Revelation. Otherwise, we don't know a whole lot. We just kind of hear about the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he chime in from time to time. He's kind of the anti-Peter. Peter always is vocal and very ready to talk up. It's like, boom, you know, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, which was a good moment. But a few minutes later, um, no way is this going to happen to you. But John... When he talks, it's, he's always kind of whispering. He's called the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he was actually about the age of probably like 15 when Jesus was crucified. Which is why if you ever look at the, the painting of the Last Supper, there's usually, and by the way, the Da Vinci Code, if you remember this book, um, which by the way has very, very bad history. Only take that if you want to fail a lot of history courses. But anyways, not only Christian history, even art history. Anyways, um, 
But on this, right next to Jesus, there is this effeminate looking person. And so they, the Da Vinci Code said, ah, that's Mary Magdalene. Actually, it's the Apostle John. Because, this is why you'd fail art history, because in Renaissance painting, young men were always depicted as being a little bit more effeminate. And so that's why John looks the way he does, is because most people, many people believe he was a teenager. And so, and then you look at this gospel in John 21. This is right after it's been predicted what would happen to Peter. Peter would be crucified. And when Peter gets this news, his first thought is, well, what about him? It's kind of like, it's kind of, it's almost kind of coming off as one of those moments where your parents tell you to do chores. And then you're like, well, what about my brother? What does he have to do? And so kind of a similar situation. And Jesus says, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Which began, as he says, the rumor that John would never die. But it actually happened was John was the only of the apostles to never die a martyr's death. And there's even legends that they tried to kill him, but they failed. One of the traditions in Europe on this day in particular is that you're supposed to have a brand new bottle of wine and you are to bless it and you're to drink it throughout the entire year. Especially if you're getting married during this year. This is the year that you, this would be the day you'd bless the bottle of wine that you would drink on your, or the bottle of champagne or whatever that you would drink at your wedding. And the reason is, is because there's a legend that John drank uh, poisoned wine and lived. And so kind of people are carrying on that um, legend. Another legend is that they threw John into a, burn, a cauldron of burning oil, trying to kill him. But for him, it turned out to just be a hot bath. And so they got frustrated with him, frustrated with the fact that they couldn't kill him, so they threw him onto the prison island of Patmos. Now you hear that and you think, okay, he didn't have to die, he didn't have to get, die a martyr's death. Sounds like the sweet gig. But is it really? I mean, think about that. He started when he was a teenager. Very early on in his time with Jesus. One of the first things that happens is he meets this guy. And he, he, hear, he gets to hear John the Baptist preach. What happened to John? He would be thrown in prison. He would be beheaded. A little bit later, and even though Jesus is predicting it all along, and nobody really gets it. By the way, one of the big moments of John is the resurrection, because he gets to the tomb first, because he's younger. 15-year-old's going to outrun the 40-year-old. But, but anyways, John, not that long after, watches as his Savior, Jesus, dies. He doesn't know that Jesus is going to rise from the dead. Nobody got that. And so as far as he was concerned, Jesus was dead. He was gone. 
He wasn't coming back. He wasn't the Messiah they thought he was. Jesus rose from the dead. Very early in the book of Acts, and this is what we read from yesterday at St. Peter's. You read about St. Stephen being stoned to death. Now Stephen was was kind of a new guy to the company. But nonetheless, you could imagine the sting of hearing that first news. The news of the first one of them to die for confessing Jesus. James, his brother. John is called one of the sons of Zebedee. His brother James is killed. John was a cousin of Jesus and therefore a cousin also of James, Jesus' brother. James, that James, would be killed. Peter was crucified upside down after being forced to watch his own wife be crucified. And you can actually read in the Gospels, talk about Peter's mother-in-law. So you know that um, John would have had some relationship with Peter's wife. Again, he gets to hear the news of St. Andrew. If you've ever seen a Confederate flag, which you probably have since it was all over the news this last, it's been all over the news in recent years. But anyways, on the Confederate flag, the cross that's on there is called St. Andrew's Cross. The reason is because that's what St. Andrew was nailed to. Philip was skinned alive before being crucified. So if you are Thomas, remember he demanded to feel the, the, the wound in Jesus' side? The way he dies, he's pierced in his side. The very wound that he demanded to feel is the one that would take his life. So again, if you are John, and you, 15 years, and he dies probably in his 80s or 90s, Imagine hearing all of your friends being killed, being butchered the way that they are. And the end of your life is on a prison island. On an island of Patmos where you don't have any friends, you don't have family. The only people on that island are the the Roman soldiers. And they're not really there to make conversation. They're there just to make sure you don't leave. That is the life of John. You could imagine how hard that would be. But the thing is, John willingly endured all of this. For one, because he was the first guy to see that tomb was empty. And he was one of the people that saw that Jesus was risen from the dead. He witnessed all these things. And the thing he knew to be true is that the message that he was a witness to, and notice that word witness is used in the the epistle lesson, it's used in Revelation, it's used in the Gospel of John. Do you know what the word martyr literally means? Witness. The Greek word for witness is martyrion. So they were witnesses of Christ. There were witnesses of the great things he did. 
And the reason they were witnesses is because they knew that faith in this Jesus, who is the Christ, would lead to eternal life. They had eternal life. And as it said in that reading in 1 John, how, much of the, how many people did Jesus die for? Was it just a couple? Was it just us? It says that He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That means... If you're dry, when you drive home today and you pass by a car, guess what? That person that's in the car, assuming it's dry, not driving itself, which I don't think we have that technology quite yet. Maybe we do. But that person is somebody that Jesus died for, whose sins are forgiven. You stand in the line at the supermarket, and you have people in front of you, and you're probably getting a little... Maybe you might be getting irritated with the lines. All those people standing in front of you, there's someone that Jesus died for. The person at the ch- that is running the checkout, that person also is someone that Jesus died for. But see, the reality is, is not everyone knows that. Not everyone has laid hold to that gift. It's like it's, it's like having a Christ, you know having a Christmas tree and a gift staying wrapped there for a long long time and somebody and it clearly says who's it's for and there's some people like ah I don't believe there's a gift in there I think it's just a bunch of it's probably just a box of uh, box and box and boxes because some people do do that and they and so they don't want to ever open it. And the thing is, guess what happens? If, there, if that box has $1,000 in it and you don't open it, guess what? You can't use it. There's no value. The forgiveness of sins, the gift that Jesus won for us on the cross, comes by faith. And John was a witness to that. And this is in spite of all the people who passed on around him. Something that is so very real to us. I mean, this year, for our congregations, the funeral numbers just keep coming. Lola Lola Lundstra passing away just yesterday. We are all watching as our loved ones pass. They die. They leave us. And it's never easy. Because we all know it's not the last funeral. There's going to be more to come. And not any one of them is easy. I kind of fooled myself and said, all right, we're on Christmas Day. We might actually make it through the year. Everyone will stay alive. Nope. God, God is, God's just not on our schedule. So, and what you guys all learned yesterday. But Lola in her life, she was a witness like John. 
witnessed to her children, to her grandchildren, made sure that they knew who Jesus was. As is the case of all of these people that have died in the last year. We're still not at January 1st. Hopefully, the, I'm not going to... You know, maybe, the, hopefully this will, there won't be too many more before the end of the year. But all of them, to one degree or another, were witnesses of Jesus to those, to their family, to friends. And by the way, even in a funeral, you become a witness. Because that funeral Paul has laid over the casket... And the hymns are sung, and the scripture readings are read, and the sermon is preached. It is that last opportunity, because we all know it. Almost every funeral, there are people that come that never step, step foot in a church. It is that moment, that opportunity, that last opportunity that we have to be a witness to this gospel. The reason yesterday with Lola, I made sure that we said the Apostles' Creed is because by that faith expressed in the Apostles' Creed, it was definitely known that she was entering into eternity. She was going to enter into a much better room than the room in the CCU. A huge mansion of a room. By the way, if you ever look at that text in John, it's actually better not to say, in my father's house there are many rooms. We always read it that way, because that seems to make more sense to us. But actually, house means like the house of, like the house of Johnson or something like that. Um, but actually, it says, in my father's ha- house, there are many mansions. So in other words, she exchanged a room in the CCU for a mansion. Pretty good trade-up. That's what we get by faith in Christ. That is the promise that we give. And that is why we are witnesses in this world. Just as John was. Because we know as our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ pass away, we are not without hope. We know that they are with Jesus. And we know that they will rise on the last day with a glorious body. And we will join with them. So what do we do? As we are, this church carries the namesake of St. John, we are to be the same. Witnesses of the things that we have heard and seen. What have we seen? Bread and wine. That is the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. We have seen the water poured upon children saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And they receive the righteousness of Christ, clothed in Jesus himself. We have seen God's grace. And we know that those who die in the faith, like I said, they are with Jesus. Therefore, may we be witnesses to our family, our friends, to the entire world, that Jesus is the Christ, that they, and that they may hear and believe, and by believing may have life. As I started the sermon, I mentioned that the tradition is right after Christmas, 
we have the Feast of St. Stephen and the Feast of St. John. And the reason is because Christmas, we celebrate that God became human flesh. Saint Steve, the Feast of St. Stephen and St. John, we focus on Christians who died in the faith. But because Jesus was born in the flesh and they died in the faith and believed that Jesus is the Christ, they were born into eternity on those days. So shall be the fate of us all. Because God became flesh, we will be born into his kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace and of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith and the life everlasting. Amen. Please stand as we sing, Create in Me a Clean Heart.